This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, First Things First, and it comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Amazon or Google or Spotify or iTunes, we're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today we start a new book in the Bible, and that is the book of Haggai. Now that's a small book, it's only two chapters. Haggai is one of the minor prophets. When you say minor prophets, it doesn't mean that they weren't important because God is speaking to his people, and he speaks through them. The reason why they're called minor prophets is the length of what they documented or what God said through them. And like I said, Haggai is just two small chapters, and we'll cover about three weeks to go through this small book. But today I want to look at Haggai because I think there's still some rich nuggets in there about our spiritual growth. Now, some folks will call this Haggai or Haggai. I call it Haggai, which I think is correct. But if you're from the South, you may use two syllables and say, hey, guy. It reminds me, uh, I was traveling from Mississippi back to Florida. I was sending out my verse of the day to my brothers, my family, and I was quoting Haggai. And as I was talking to Siri, because I was driving and didn't want to be sitting there texting, uh, but I was sending a text out with this verse, I quoted Haggai. And Siri, which was translating it, actually changed it to hair guy. Well, it's not hair guy, it's Haggai. I'd like to start off, though, giving you a little bit of a background on this book and tell you where we are historically. At this point in time, the nation of Israel is split. You have Israel to the north and you have Judah to the south. If you remember when we studied the book of Daniel, there was the Babylonian Empire that God said was going to come down and attack them and take them captive King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonian Empire, and they do that. Three waves, they come in, they attack the southern realm of the nation of Israel, Judah, and that is back in 609 B.C. After this first wave from King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, if you remember, this is when Daniel talks about how they get taken as kids back to Babylon. 
Now, this is about a thousand miles away when they take them back to Babylon. Again, the internet is a cool thing. I was able to Google what is a thousand miles away from Meridian, Mississippi. And Toronto, Canada is 951 miles. So it would be like you getting captured and having to walk all the way to Toronto, Canada. But like I said, King Nebuchadnezzar comes three times, three waves. And 586 B.C. is the third wave. And that's where he destroys Jerusalem and he destroys the temple. Understand, for the Jews, the temple was the place where they did their sacrifice for their sins. It was a place of worship. It was the place of the Lord. That's where the Lord came and sat. So let's put this all in perspective of what I've been telling you. So Daniel was said to be about 14 or 15 years old with his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar comes and he destroys Jerusalem. He destroys the temple. He takes them a thousand miles away. There is nowhere now for the Jews to confess their sins, to have fellowship with their friends. And so this is what has happened to the southern kingdom of Judah. They're gone. They're taken away. And everything that they know is gone and destroyed. God foretold all this through the prophets and told Israel that they were about to go into captivity and they were going to be there for 70 years. Well, now 50 years goes by and all of a sudden God takes down Nebuchadnezzar and King Cyrus comes in, the Medo-Persia king, and overthrows Babylon. And so God puts it on his heart to let the people, the Jewish people, go back to their home. And he even decrees that they can rebuild the temple. Now when this happened, when this Judah, the southern part of the nation of Israel, is, is destroyed and taken captive, there was about two million people. Now, the Jews were instructed to go back, but a lot didn't because they enjoyed what they had in Babylon. They became adapt to the culture that they were raised in. After a 70-year timeout, that would make that person about 85 years old. Can you imagine being 85 years old and having to walk a thousand miles back to Jerusalem and rebuild? But when they get back, the, when the nation of Israel comes back to Jerusalem and Judah, there is no temple. It's destroyed. The city is destroyed, and they have to rebuild. And so this is where we land. This is where the book of Haggai takes place. Now, the book of Haggai sits in within the book of Ezra. A matter of fact, it, we'll look at this in just a minute. Ezra chapter 3 is where Cyrus says, hey, go back, and the people rejoice. So with that background, why don't we go ahead and read the first part of our scriptures today, and then we'll finish up. I'll read some out of Ezra, and then we'll get right into my outline. Haggai chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 1, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it time for you yourself to dwell in your panel houses, while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. He's going to say that twice. You have so much and harvest this little. You eat, but you have never had enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring the wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth was withheld its produce. And I have called for drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on their labor. And we'll stop right there for now. Now if you would, turn to the book of Ezra with me real quick. And we're going to look at chapter 3. We're going to start in verse number 8. And it's about the rebuilding of the temple. Remember I told you, Haggai sits within the book. And so right here is what it says in the book of Ezra, starting in verse 8 and out of the ESV. Now in the second year after the coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, what we just saw read in Haggai, the son of Shetel, and Jesai, the son of Jehozadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of the kinsmen, the priests, and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Kedemiah and his sons and the son of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of the Lord along with the sons of Hadad and the Levites and their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forth with trumpets and the Levites and the son of the Ashman and the cymbals to praise the Lord according to the direction of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsive and praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And they sang that over and over. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father of the house, the old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout and the sound of weeping. For the people shouted with great shout, and the sound was heard far away. And we'll stop right there. So what's happening right here is they have come back. And so now they have built the altar and they've gave their sacrifice. They've not been able to do this for 70 years. And now they're able to do that. And that's what happens before we got to verse 8. In verse 8, as we started reading, we see that they are instructed to rebuild the temple around that altar. And so they start that. When they laid the foundation, immediately they're playing trumpets and they're playing cymbals, just like David did when he brought the Ark of the Covenant in. Remember, he danced for joy as he brought that in when we studied that. But anyhow, they're singing this song, For He is Good, for His Steadfast Love Endures Forever Toward Israel. And they're singing that over and over. And that's what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. And so as they're doing this, the people that had seen the magnificent temple that Solomon built that's been torn down 70 years before this start weeping. While the young people that's never seen it, they're jumping for joy and they're shouting for joy because they're happy that they're now going to be able to worship like they used to. Well, you might ask Tim, where are you going with this? If you keep reading in Ezra, chapter 4, there is pushback. There's things that happen. And the Bible tells us for 15 years, all of a sudden the building stops. 
And we don't see it again in the book of Ezra until chapter 5. Fifteen years go by from the time they laid the foundation till they start rebuilding the rest of the temple. So now look back at Haggai verse 1 with me. We see that there is the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month of his reign, and the first day of the month, and the word of the Lord came by Haggai. In other words, God spoke through Haggai to Zerubbabel, who's the governor. You notice there is no king anymore. We studied about King David. God took them into captivity, and while they were in captivity, he stripped them of being ruled by a king, one, and two, he rid them of idolatry. We now see that everything is by history, and we can go back in our history books, and we know there was a king of the Medo-Persia rule named Darius. And now look back at verse 2 with me. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And we just looked at Ezra 15 years earlier. There was trumpets playing. There was shouting going on. They were praising the way David told them that they would do that. Fifteen years later, they're saying, hey, we're not supposed to do this yet. And the question you should be asking yourself is, how did we get here? Because they didn't put first things first. They let the priorities get out of line. And that's what the whole book of Haggai is really about, is about priorities. But the question is, how did we get here? And really, I think it's two reasons. And we're going to dive into that. But first, I want you to understand, why did God want them to build the temple? Why was the temple so important? Well, first, you need to see that in the Old Testament, the temple was instructed to be the place that we did atonement for sin. And this was a centerpiece of the worship. And this is where people came together. This was where God was. So people came to the temple. We now go to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. He dies on the cross. He overcomes the grave. And what does the New Testament teach us is the temple? That we are the temple. That the Holy Spirit comes after Jesus goes to the cross and dies. He promises us a helper that will come and live within us. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you've asked Jesus to come into your life, then the Holy Spirit has come in and you are now the temple of God. Paul wrote again on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about this again in 2 Corinthians. And he says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, starting there, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Your body, if you are a Christian, is the temple of God. And where I'm going with this is the importance of the temple is there are people walking around, one, that forget this very fact that I'm trying to get you to understand, and they're just like the Jewish people. Fifteen years had gone by. There's no spiritual growth. There's nothing going on. There's no sacrificing taking place. 
and there's people walking around today that claim to be a Christian that has no spiritual growth. They're not in the Word of God. They're not allowing the Holy Spirit to walk among them. And what I want you to walk away today with, studying out of this first chapter of Haggai, is that there are two things that we see in the nation of Israel that's hindered their growth. Why did they not put first things first? And we can apply that to our spiritual walk today. So for my note takers out there, for the first thing that we see through Scripture, what kept them with the zeal that they had to go to apathy was external conflict. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, if you go back to the book of Ezra and you look at chapter 4, I told you there was conflict. There was people that the enemies against Judah and the tribe of Benjamin heard that they were going to build the temple of God of Israel. So the people started harassing them. They started harassing them about their morals. They put legal folks, they hired lawyers back in those days that would take and slow them down that would minimize them to be able to resolve what they were trying to do. They even go to Xerxes and they tell him about, if you let them build this wall, if you let them build this temple, these people will, will revolt against you. They start lying on them. The summary that I just gave you can be summarized in Ezra 4, verse 4. And this is what it says. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them and frustrated their purpose all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And here's what I want to get at. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you make that known that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, people are going to be bothered by that. People are going to try to discourage you. They're going to try to make you afraid of being public about it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you've told others about your Christian walk, they immediately start to discourage you. They go, you don't really believe the Bible's 100% true, do you? That book's thousands of years old. It's not for today. You don't want to follow that old book. It was written for a time that's not like today. It wasn't written for today. There'll be others that will try to intimidate you. Like, hey, you know, if you follow that book, if you follow Jesus Christ, you're going to lose your job. You're not going to be cool in high school and in college if you follow and do what that book says. You know that you will lose friends over that book, don't you? See, people will intimidate you. And doesn't chapter 4, verse 4 of Ezra sound just like what we're living in today? That they bribed counselors. Roughly, they bribed lawyers to frustrate them to stop their purpose. And today, if you make public statements, don't people try to cancel you out? Don't they try to get lawyers to come after you? What I want you to see today is just like in the book of Haggai, we face the same thing as Christians today. But we cannot pause and put our spiritual growth on hold for 15 years or 20 years or one year. We need to be in fellowship with God every single day. And if you don't surround yourself with spiritual brothers and sisters, then you're going to be isolated. You're going to start hearing what the world says. They're going to try to pull you away. Jesus even taught about this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11. What does he say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you 
when they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice Jesus says, blessed are those that are persecuted. Not if they're going to be persecuted, but you're going to be persecuted. And if you're not being persecuted, I want to challenge you. Are you making your walk with Jesus Christ publicly known? Jesus says, if you're passionate for righteous living, if you're passionate for morality, then expect to be persecuted. It's going to happen if you make a stand. The sad thing is a lot of people have come and become a Christian and they think they've jumped on a cruise, a paradise cruise. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that we're on a battleship. Jesus is saying we're going to be fired on. We're going to be in battle. People are going to try to do just like they did here. And so we can see the external conflict that was in their life and that will be in our life. But not only is there external conflict that will stop the spiritual growth or rebuilding the temple, there's also internal conflict. And I want you to see that. And that's really what we start seeing right here as God rebukes them about them stopping. Now, look back at Haggai chapter one, we'll start again in verse two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God is saying to the people, you're trying to make an excuse. I've told you to rebuild the temple. And what are you doing? You're saying, well, it's not time yet. How many times has God told you to do something and you put it off? God is telling somebody today that I've told you to do something and you've put it on hold. Not yet, God. It's not time. I'm not ready to do that. I need a little more time to do that. God is telling you today that he didn't say that you weren't ready. He told you to do it. But more important than the person that I feel like maybe God's speaking to on that is he's speaking to all of us and saying you put your spiritual life on hold. The center of your spiritual walk has been put on hold. And you're telling me that that's okay because it's not the time to rebuild or grow my spiritual life. And God's saying, why are you worried about yourself and you're not worried about me? Why are you living in such luxury and you're doing so well to the world and you're letting me sit over here in nothing? See, the Bible says that they were rebuilding their homes. Yes, they've come out of captivity and they're putting all the focus on their own personal pleasure. They're having reveal parties. They're having a, a Chip and Joanna Gaines kind of thing going on with renovation. This panel houses is material that they took out of the mountains. And because they stopped building the temple, they said, well, you know what? That'll look good in my house. That'll look good in your house. And so they were taking the very material to build God's house, and they were putting it into their own personal pleasure. And look at what God says in verse 6. He says, you have sown much and harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so. It puts like putting them in a bag with holes. What God is saying is, because you have left me out of this, I have thank you again. You don't have enough. Your, your crops aren't growing. You don't have enough money. It's almost like it runs right through your pockets. You try to close yourself, but you don't have enough clothes to stay warm. 
You can try to do it on your own, but I'm telling you, you take care of me first. I'm first. You're not. God is challenging them. Am I king of your life or are you king of your life? When you ask me to be Lord of your life, what does that mean to you? What does Lord mean? Is it a kingship? Today, put first things first. Put God first. What's first in your life? If you were to build an importance list, if it's not God, then it's wrong. Yes, now the next thing on my list would be my family and my wife, you know, maybe a house over my head. But God is first and foremost. You may be out there going, Tim, well, I'm good right now. I'm in a Bible study. I go to church every Sunday. My question to you, though, where does God really sit in your walk? Where is God every day in your life? Do you get up first and have breakfast with him? Do you have breakfast with Jesus every day? Did, was he the first thing instead of the last thing that you think about as you lay down and go to sleep? That's what happened here. They put their own lives above God. They let their spiritual growth stop. Galatians 6 says, do not be fooled. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, he also shall reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall reap from the flesh. He that soweth to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit. Where are you planting your seeds today? Is it in the Spirit or is it in the flesh? Look, I'm not going to stand up here and be holier than thou. This is a battle I fight every day. We fight this. Jesus says that we have to die to ourselves daily and take up our cross I'm out of time, so jump down to verse 11 real quick. And look what God says. He says, I've called on a drought on the land and the hills, on, on the grain and the wine and the oil and the what the ground brings forth, not only on you, but on the beast and everything. He says, I am going to withhold from you until you yield to me, until you make me Lord of all. So God rebukes them. But look at how it finishes. This is the one time in the Bible where the people listen to a prophet. Look at verse 12 with me real quick. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the word of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up a spirit of Jerezebel, the son of Shetel, and governor of Judea, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, the second year of Darius the king. So 24 days later, after that Haggai goes to them and he starts talking to them, they get their life back in order. We see a repentant heart. We see them going back and doing what they're supposed to do. I love what it says right there in verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message and said, I am with you, declares the Lord. See, when they had a repentant heart, when they turned and started doing what God told them to do, the Lord said, I'm with you. Really, he was with them the whole time. He just had to spank them to wake them up to what he had asked them to do. And isn't that what the Lord does to you and I? He rebukes us. He kind of spanks us. Then he speaks to us tenderly. And he forgives us when we go to him and ask for forgiveness. There's really key words right here I want you to see. In verse 12, it says that the remnant of the people and also the leadership obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And then in verse 14, we see how they obeyed that voice. 
They came and they worked on the house of the Lord. And that's how I want to wrap up. If you're listening to me today and you've put your walk with the Lord on pause, just like they did, he's sitting there knocking. The Bible shows us right here there is no pause too long. He's knocking. Will you get right with the Lord? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today. Lord, I feel like there is someone that you're knocking on their heart. And you're telling them, today is the day. I don't care how long it's been. I don't care when you were saved. I don't care why you have not worked on your spiritual temple. I am here asking you to repent of that and say, I want to put you back first in my life. Whether it's an external conflict or an internal conflict, it doesn't matter. That you want to be Lord of their life and you want them to turn and repent and make you number one again. Lord, I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying that they've put a pause in their life just like the people in Haggai's day did. And Lord, I pray for the one that may not know you at all. Maybe they've never really made you Lord of their life. Maybe they've gone to church. Maybe they grew up in church. You know, it's similar to my story. Lord, I pray today that they will truly make you Lord of their life. Lord, that they'll put you first. They'll believe on your finished work on the cross. And Lord, how you overcame death. And Lord, how they are the temple how you come and live within us and that you want to build that temple up. You want to build a righteous and glorified temple in our bodies. And Lord, I pray right now that someone will pray that prayer. They'll ask you in their heart. Lord, they'll believe and they will turn. Lord, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for what you do for this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.